Greetings, everyone. This is uh, Pastor Paul back with our next episode of the RRUMC podcast here with uh, Stephen Young, our Director of Youth Ministries. We're continuing on a uh, series, in fact, wrapping up a series all about uh, tough questions uh, for Christians, tough questions Christians uh, encounter in their conversations uh, with folks uh, around the topic of their faith. And uh, we had several episodes where we dug more deeply into uh, some heavier questions, some deeper questions. Uh, these last two episodes, last week's and, and, and today's, uh, Stephen and I, our, our goal is to uh, cover a little bit more territory, um, but not quite as uh, with as much depth. So uh, we have uh, six questions on tap for you again this week, and we're going to dive in, in in just a second. I'll quickly say this, though. Friends, know uh, as we do these podcasts that Stephen and I are, are uh, presenting our opinions and, uh, you know, there's uh, to some degree some, some uh, background and in, in research we've done or experiences we've had or studies that we've uh, done throughout school and such, um, but they're, at the end of the day, opinions. Um, we, we feel uh, thrilled that you're, you're willing to receive them or at least entertain them. Uh, we enjoy sharing them, um, but you don't have to agree with each and every one of them. Uh, we, we're not going out of our way to choose topics that are especially controversial, but we're also not going out of our way to avoid uh, topics because uh, you may uh, find that you differ to some extent on uh, how you feel about them. Uh, so we're just uh, putting out there where we're at and, and uh, kind of our experiences and, and research, and uh, we always welcome your feedback uh, on the comments section or reach out to us by email. Uh, we've enjoyed engaging with you along the way. So with that being said, uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. Going to let Stephen take it away with question number one. Yeah, so uh, welcome back. I'm really excited about this podcast. We got some great questions in stored. And then the last question that we both heard answer is going to be um, a personal question um, that I'm excited to talk about too. Um, so the first question that we have is, does James, does James teach salvation by works? So does James teach salvation by works? So, and and um, so the question comes from a passage in passage in James chapter two, and it says a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So the reason why this question usually comes up because Paul will say that a person is saved not by the works of the law, but by grace, and then James is here saying that a person is considered righteous um, by what they do and not by faith alone. But um, when you take a deep dive into both these statements, you realize that they both actually work in unison. So what James is saying here, and what, and you have to read through the whole chapter to get his full view. I'm just taking a little bit out of that passage. So what James is saying here is that saving faith produces acts of faith. And if that faith doesn't change how a person acts from the inside out, you have the question, did that person really have a saving faith? So again, it's James is saying saving faith produces acts of faith. Um, the early reformers, like Martin Luther, early reformers would say justification is by faith alone, but um, but not by a faith that is alone. So let me explain that again. <laughs> it sounds confusing. So justification is by faith alone but not by a faith that is alone. So we're justified um, because of the death of Jesus Christ and we're forgiven of our sins and, and we're justified before God, 
before God. So when we when we come before the Lord, He sees the blood of Christ on us, and we are forgiven for our sins and justified because of Jesus. And because of that, um, because of that, we are changed. But our faith isn't alone. In other words, that our faith produces from it acts of faith. In other words, think of it like a tree. That and Jesus uses tree metaphors a lot, and He says that. The, the fruit that is produced from that person is, is testifying to that person's life. So the fruit that is produced testifies to that person's faith. So our faith, in essence, produces fruit. So the truth is, if someone is truly had a truly um, a true encounter with Jesus, that salvation encounter with Jesus, they will be forever changed inside. And from a heart that is growing more and more in love with Jesus and their neighbors, because of that heart change, their actions are going to follow suit. So if you had a true encounter with Jesus, that true transformational encounter with Jesus, you start to be, your heart starts to change and grow. Almost think of the Grinch when his heart grew 10 sizes too large. And the Grinch, because of his heart change, he gave all, his, all the Christmas gifts back to the... Was it Little Weehee, Little Woohoo, whatever, whatever her name is? Sidney Lou. Lou. There you yes. go. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, you think of the Grinch; his heart changed, and it and it resulted in his actions changing. And that's how the Christian images as well. So another example is if someone is hungry, they act out of that hunger to get something to eat. So say Paul's always talking about Big Macs, and Paul's like. Paul's like, I'm really hungry, and then I offer him some food, and then Paul doesn't eat it. And I question if Paul was really hungry. But if I if Paul says he's hungry, and then he goes and gets something to eat, then I know he was truly hungry. So the same way as a Christian faith, that some Christians, um, the same with Christians, if someone said they had a true encounter with Jesus, the living Christ, they will live differently than what they lived before. And that doesn't always happen drastically, okay? It doesn't always happen like overnight, but it does happen over time that you start to see the change in the person because that that encounter with Jesus. So um, so what James is saying is that um, we are saved by faith alone, but our faith is not alone. Our faith is partnered with what we do. And what we do is not to justify ourselves. What we do is out of a love for Jesus. That's really important to keep in mind as well. All right. Uh, thank you, Stephen. I don't know how I can beat uh, having both the reference to Big Macs and Cindy Lou or as you call her, Little Weehee, <laughs> in, uh, in my, my question as we fall apart here. Um, but I, I will do my best yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to uh, follow that. So my, my question is this, and mm-hmm. it's a head-scratcher, I'm sure, from the start. Um, in biblical research, what is Q? What is Q? And uh, no, I, I didn't choose this question because I thought you all were dying to know the answer to it because the truth is right now most of you probably have no clue what I'm talking about <laughs> and probably don't care uh, what I'm talking about. And I hope by the end you will. Um, Because I'm sharing this with you, uh, partly because I think it's a very interesting subject and because I want to kind of open the door and and allow uh, folks opportunity to see how some of the uh, the biblical scholars throughout history and academia uh, have done research and and have uh, helped us gain confidence in our Bibles and and in Bible study in general. So the question is, 
Um, what is Q in biblical research? You'll know by the time I, I stop talking. Uh, not a single word of the Bible was written by Jesus. Some people don't, don't know that. Many of Jesus' words are recorded in Scripture, but he didn't sit down and, and write anything uh, that was passed down then through uh, history to us. And In fact, it took about 35 to 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection before other people decided to start recording the events of his life uh, for future generations. Those who knew Jesus during his lifetime were probably beginning to die off. That generation was, was coming to an end, so there was probably some pressure, some urgency to preserve their direct interactions and, and recollections of Jesus for future generations. Most scholars agree that of the four Gospels, Mark uh, was the first to be written. Now, Mark, the author of the, the Gospel of Mark, was not a, a direct disciple of Jesus. He probably never knew Jesus personally. However, it would seem that Mark learned a great deal about Jesus directly from Peter, uh, from the Apostle Peter. He also ended up serving alongside the Apostle Paul in his uh, ministry journeys on some level. So uh, Mark nonetheless had some solid sources for his uh, material that he included in his, his gospel. He, he probably ended up writing it around 70 A.D. Uh, now the part that comes next is just a theory, but many scholars believe that Matthew and Luke wrote their Gospels next and that they both pulled information for their Gospels from Mark's Gospel, for one, because Mark's had already been written. Um, Matthew also used his own personal experiences with Christ, having been a disciple of his. Luke drew from uh, his information from a number of sources, probably his uh, firsthand interactions with Peter, uh, who he was connected to, secondhand stuff uh, from Paul, um, who did not know Jesus personally, um, but uh, certainly had a, a knowledge of, of Jesus that was profound, and others that he spoke to. Uh, but the theory here is beyond Mark, beyond their, their individual resources that Matthew and Luke used to write their Gospels, that there was some, some of their information came from another source, a mysterious source that's referred to as Q. Why Q? Well, Q comes from the German word quell, which means source. Uh, so very original, right? Uh, this, this Q is this additional source um, that existed. So basically, Matthew and Luke's gospel tend to align quite nicely with each other. They show clearly that they glean some of their information from Mark's gospel that was written before theirs. However, there seems to be a collection of information that both Matthew and Luke present in their Gospels that is not present in Mark, so they clearly got it from somewhere else. And this info, scholars believe, was pulled from another source called Q, uh, that they're, we're calling now Q. Q may have been kind of like a, a fifth Gospel um, or some other historical account that at some point in history was lost or destroyed. Uh, somehow we no longer have access to it. But since Mark and Matthew and Luke all seem to largely align in their content, their source material, material uh, scholars have come to call them the synoptic gospels. So you're learning some new terms uh, here today. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. John would write his gospel 20 or more years later uh, than the other three using his own remembrances of, of Jesus. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus, John ended up living uh, the longest of any of Jesus' disciples. So he writes from his own personal accounts of Jesus. He takes a very different approach to his writing with a different purpose. He includes material different from the other three. So his uh, gospel, John's gospel, is kind of a, a lone wolf uh, of sorts. 
and uh, is read and understood very differently than the other three. So just some, uh, you know, um, behind the scenes looks at uh, the, uh, the compilation of the four Gospels and uh, sources and such uh, that you might not have encountered otherwise. Hope you enjoyed. And on to Stephen's <laughs> next question. All right. Next question. I have a fun illustration for this one as well. So, um, so the second question um, that I have is, what is the biblical definition of faith? So a lot of times faith obviously is a term you hear a lot in church, um, a lot when it comes to Christianity. So what does it mean to have faith? What's the biblical definition of faith? So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which you probably heard before, is a common, commonly quoted when it comes to this. It says, um, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When it comes to faith, it is always important to remember that biblical faith is not blind faith. So a lot of times when people say, and you've probably heard maybe your friends who aren't Christians or maybe those who are, that faith comes off in our society as like a blind hope. So um, no offense to Browns fans out there or um, every season you begin the year with a sense of faith that your team will make it. Um, but there's no hard evidence that they will. It's just kind of a really a blind faith. It's it's a, a wishful thinking more well or less. Said, yeah, well, well yeah. comes from this coming from a Steelers fan, um, and and I will say I am a Chiefs fan. So go Chiefs. Anyways, but th- and that, and not just to pick on the Browns, but that's a lot of times when people say I have faith that this will happen. There's there's this sense of like wishful hoping. That's not how biblical faith is. It's much more grounded than that. Um, so when it comes to faith, it's important that the Bible. It's important to remember that biblical faith is not blind faith, but it is a trust in keeping with the pattern of what God has done and shown. So I repeat that again. Faith is not a blind faith, but it is a trust in keeping with the pattern of what God has already done and has shown. So in other words, imagine you have someone each day that that brings you milk to your front door, as they used to do when Paul was growing up. They used to bring <laughs> milk to his front door. All the time. So imagine, yeah, so someone every day brings milk to the front door every evening. So each day you wake up with the faith and confidence that the milkman will come again that evening as he always has, time and time again. So the milkman has a long track record of showing up on time and providing milk. So you wake up with the faith and the belief that he will come again that evening. And this is, this is how faith is seen in Scripture. It's trusting God will come through with his promises and his words as he always has. And this is, God even stands on this. He stands on his word. He stands on his faithfulness. He stands on his promises. And and, and faith in scripture, again, is trusting that God will come through with his promises and his words as he always has. That God has developed a track record over time of coming through for his people, for those who trust in him. So we don't have to have a blind faith believing something that that can only be true if we wish hard enough. Okay, so like faith is not this wishful thinking. If we just wish hard enough that maybe it will come true. 
faith in Scripture is is confidence, as in Hebrews chapter one or Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one says, it's a confidence and an assurance. That's what faith is. Um, so we don't have a blind faith believing that something can only be true if we wish hard enough. Faith is based on the facts and the truth of God's consistency and his character proven over time. Um, And this is why even when you become a Christian, it it can be hard to develop your faith because you're beginning that relationship with God and you're developing that trust and that confidence and assurance in God. And, and this is why something like the resurrection um, that we talked about last week, this is why something like the resurrection is so important. So Jesus promised that he would die and rise again, and he did it. So Jesus said, I will die, and three days later I will rise again. He told his disciples that they will kill the Son of Man, and, and the disciples were confused. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand what was going on. And Jesus fulfilled that promise. He, he, Jesus died. And he filled up a promise that he will rise again, and he rose again. So what this means, it means that we can have faith in the other words and promises of God, the other instructions of Jesus. We can have faith and assurance in that and what he said throughout the Gospels because of his track record of keeping his promise of the resurrection. So this is why the resurrection is so important. So if Jesus really rose from the dead as he said he did, as he said he was going to, if Jesus died and rose from the dead as Jesus promised he would do, that means that we can hold trust to the rest of everything else he instructed us to believe because we know the anchor of the resurrection and, and we have our faith in that assurance and confidence in that biblical fact and truth. Again, it's getting away from the wishful thinking. We're not, we're not here wishing at a wishing well, hoping that things come true. This is confidence in the character and the nature of Jesus because of his resurrection. Do we have that anchor of belief in our faith and trusting that, um, that, our, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that his words are proven true because of his resurrection? So speaking of faith... Uh, Just a a fun little sidestep here uh, into a a story that many of us will be familiar with. Um, Is the the next question, is the story of Jonah and the whale really true? Do you have faith uh, (laughs) that this story is is true history, uh, truly happens uh, literally as it's described in the Bible? Do you have faith in this? Um, Maybe by the time I finish talking, uh, your answer will be yes. Maybe it will be no. Uh, Maybe... Um, hint, hint, it, it won't really matter. But let's address the question nonetheless. Uh, we'll start by addressing the question scientifically. First of all, it's hard to argue with the idea that Jonah himself was a historical figure, because um, I think we need to establish that first. There are two other passages in Scripture that refer to Jonah, uh, refer to him as a real person, a, a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Uh, one of those passages, in fact, is Jesus himself, in Matthew 12, when he compares his three days in the tomb uh, that is, is going to happen in the future of his ministry to Jonah's three days in the belly of a fish. He even refers at that point to, to Jonah's preaching in Nineveh as historical fact. So if Jonah is not a real guy, then either Jesus is mistaken 
or he's lying uh, when he refers to Jonah in Matthew 12, neither of which are acceptable uh, to a person of faith, that Jesus would be one or the other here. So uh, moving on from that, if we accept that Jonah is real, the next question is, can the story of being swallowed by a fish uh, be real? I don't know who the expert uh, is that could answer that question, but I've done a little research on it uh, just to give us a taste. Uh, first of all, let's, let's mention this. Um, the songs we sing from our childhood, the, the King James Version of the Bible, use the word whale here. Uh, so the, the popular uh, notion is that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. The accurate interpretation is actually large fish. doesn't mean it couldn't have been a whale in, in ancient terms. Um, but the truth is several species of both sharks and whales have been known to swallow large animals whole. Uh, species such as whale sharks, uh, white sharks, sperm whales, uh, animals larger than humans uh, such as giant squids have been found whole inside uh, the bellies of these great fish. Of course, accepting that Jonah could have been swallowed uh, whole by a fish of some sort is not the same as accepting that he could physically have survived for three days uh, and came out alive on the other side. And this is where the medical proof becomes a, a little iffy. Um, for one, the, the anatomy of these animals does provide sufficient oxygen in their bellies uh, to uh, allow the possibility of survival. But of course, drowning or, or suffocating seem to be the more likely results of ending up in the belly of a fish or a whale, especially after uh, spending several days in there. Uh, however, interestingly enough, there is a story of a, a man named James Bartley. Uh, look it up for fun. I, I dare you. Um, who was swallowed by a whale during a whaling expedition off the coast of South America in 1891. Supposedly, he survived 36 hours inside the belly of a sperm whale, uh, emerging only after the whale died and was harvested. And, and wow, there's James. Uh, he's still alive in the belly of this whale. Uh, his skin was tinted by stomach the stomach acid, the acids within the whale. Uh, he was blinded for life, but otherwise he came out unscathed. <laughs> Um, there is you know, some evidence, uh, and, and many treat this story as, as truth, as uh, factual. Uh, some uh, reject it as, as nothing but legend, a.k.a. a, a really big fish story, right? Um, but uh, do with it what you will. Uh, in seminary, though, just a, a personal aside, I remember I had one professor who, who seemed to be open to the possibility that the story of Jonah in the way it was meant to be taken as an allegory, uh, that there are other cultures at the time that had produced similar stories to this. So this was just um, God's version, Christianity's version in constructing the Bible of, of including a story similar to that of other cultures around them at the time, that Jonah and the whale is not historically true, but yet a, a story that tells a powerful message about faith and obedience in God. I had a professor in seminary that ascribed to that theory, um, had me half convinced of it at the time. Um, but we all get to make our own decision. And uh, where, where do I go with this in case anybody cares? Uh, how do I, I personally sort through all of this? My general rule is, is this. There are clearly things in Scripture that are intended to be taken as allegory, as hyperbole. Uh, there are fictional stories in the Bible intended to teach a lesson. I'm perfectly fine accepting these uh, obviously fictional accounts as fiction. I don't need to turn them into literal uh, historical truth. Uh, people use stories all the time as teaching tools. That's simply how I see them, teaching tools. And the Bible employs uh, tons of different literary styles and techniques to accomplish God's goal. However, for me personally, 
If any question exists about whether a story should be taken as fiction or as nonfiction, historical fact, um, if there's a possibility that it could be uh, historical fact, I always lean towards historical fact until somebody gives me really good evidence uh, to prove otherwise. Because I, I think it's a, a slippery slope when we start questioning the validity of stories from the Bible unnecessarily, most of which are, are clearly true history, we get into a very messy area. Uh, so questions like, did God make all the animals fit in the ark? Uh, did Jesus calm the storm? Did he multiply the fish? Um, I believe yes. Even if I don't have a scientific explanation for how it all happened, I, I still believe it. And to me, that's kind of the whole point, isn't it? That our God is not constrained by the limits of science and medicine. Maybe some of the things that God has done will one day be explained by science. Uh, rainbows have a scientific explanation, right? Maybe one day that the crossing of the Red Sea and, and the dividing of the sea will too. To me, that doesn't threaten my faith. It just gives me cause to celebrate this this cool link between God and science. I mean, God created science, didn't he? It's all part of his creation. Why wouldn't he also wield it for his purposes uh, in Scripture? And all stuff God and Jesus have done that can't be explained by science, it just makes my God uh, doing God things all the more cool. God doesn't need to operate within uh, the constrictions of science and medicine. In those moments, uh, he, he just did what God does, right? He worked miracles. He did things that we can't understand, can't explain. If my God wants to have Jonah survive three days in a fish and science says, no, that's impossible, guess what? I don't care. Science, you know, my God can do what he wants to do to communicate uh, to me something that's going to help me learn more about him, more about his plan for me. And I see no reason to doubt uh, that he could accomplish that. So even if it weren't one day proven to me that the whole story of Jonah is, is allegory, is, is nonfiction, or is, is fictional, it would not destroy uh, my faith. Jesus taught lessons through stories. Why not have a fictional story in the Old Testament that teaches a lesson as well? Uh, my God is bigger than that. It doesn't uh, keep me up at night. It's a fun conversation, um, but that's what I got for you on that. Stephen, what do you have next? Yeah. All right, yeah, that was really good. Um, I, whenever I think of Jonah, for some reason, I always think of the VeggieTales version. So um, maybe he, the whale just swallowed some vegetables. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go with that. Yeah. Anyway, so here for our last uh, set of questions, and, and this is the personal question that I had mentioned at the beginning. And the question is, what is your favorite biblical passage? And uh, I actually have two I listed here, even though I, I have more than that, but I, I tried to to keep it down to two. That's cheating. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it should be a favorite if there's more than one. That's true. Um, but I, maybe this first one here is probably the truest of one of my favorite, but um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and I know this is kind of a, a theme verse of the church, but I liked this passage before I knew of the church, um, if that's any credit to me. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave, gave himself for me. Um, so I love this passage just because it really speaks of the deep intimacy that each Christian has with Jesus. Um, there isn't this, what makes Christianity so unique is that, as Paul says in, 
as he says here, Christ lives in me. And there's a sense of this deep intimacy with the Spirit of God, um, the Holy Spirit, and, and the Son of God, Jesus, and God the Father, that um, that he will, um, that the Spirit of Christ lives in me is this sense of empowerment and, and that um, Christ hasn't abandoned me when he ascended into heaven, but he sent his spirit to live in us and, and to equip us and to encourage us and to work through us the works of God. Um, and to think that I have been crucified with Christ, meaning that my old life um, is dead and that I now that I no longer live that old life, but the life I now live, I live in this new life through the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is powerful because... Um, just like everyone listening now, and I, I mean, we all know the things that we've done in the past. We all are are ashamed of things we've done in the past, or things we've said and done. And 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 the power of the Christian faith is that you come to Christ for salvation, and He forgives you of that, and He and He now justifies you before the Father, and that now the Spirit of Christ lives in you. And and I'm not perfect by any stretch, um, but now I have. A Savior who has forgiven me, and I live through grace. That um, grace is a means of uh, of power now, because we I, I worship a Lord who gives me grace. Um, and then just a little bit of hint about faith. We talked about faith, and Paul says, "I live by faith in the Son of God." And 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 then the question is, what kind of what is his faith based on? And he answers that in the verse. He says. Um, his faith is ba- is based on the one who loved him and gave himself up for me. So what he's pointing to is the cross. So again, when it talks about faith, faith isn't wishful thinking. So his faith is strongly based in the evidence of the cross and the historical evidence of the cross. Because of that, he has faith and confidence and assurance in the Son of God. And in the cross, he sees that Jesus truly loves him. So Jesus, says, Jesus didn't say, didn't just say, I love you. Jesus proved his love on the death of his death on the cross and his resurrection. So uh, Paul's faith here is based in the concrete evidence of his Jesus' death and resurrection. So um, I really love that passage. And I don't want to start preaching here, but uh, and then my second passage, I won't go into depth on this, I'll just say it, but John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32, to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, and just in short, I love that verse because of the knowledge of the truth and how the truth can set you free. And, and our relationship with Jesus really is that journey of following his teachings, um, that journey of growing in the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. Because uh, right now in our society, um, truth um, truth can be really hard to come by. And, and knowing that I have the truth of Jesus, um, that sets me um, and grounds me that truth of Jesus. So, yeah, those are my my two. So thank you for your two uh, favorites. Yeah. Like, like one of those people who has two best friends. Right? Oh, yeah, right. This is my best friend and this is my other best friend. Best no, those, are, those are really good um, ones that I, I have a, a lot of uh, respect for. Appreciate those uh, verses as well. Um, for me, yeah, as a as a anybody in ministry, you get asked this question a lot, and um, you know the the exact wording of the question matters. Sometimes people want to know what your favorite verse is. Sometimes it's your favorite passage of scripture. Sometimes your favorite Bible story. 
Um, so, you know, in ministry, you spend way too much time thinking about these things because you're so used to getting asked the, the question. Um, in general, you know, overall, uh, I tend to gravitate towards the Old Testament maybe a little bit more than most, uh, much to the chagrin of uh, people that have to listen to my preaching, I guess, uh, on a regular basis, uh, perhaps. But I think the, the epic, like, ongoing storyline of the Israelite nation in the Old Testament is absolutely incredible, as are the amazing stories of the different ways that God relates to his people um, through these grand, incredible stories in the Old Testament. Everything in, in the OT is just, it's bigger, it's grander, it's more raw, it's like uncut um, in the Old Testament, so much more than the New Testament. So my favorite stories are probably from the Old Testament. Uh, of course, you get into the New Testament, there's nothing that compares to, to studying and, and reading about the character of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, uh, the way he interacts with people, every single word and statement uh, of his in the New Testament uh, is just packed with so much life and, and uh, uh, freedom and, and uh, just transformational qualities. Um, so both are inspiring to me. My favorite passage, though, uh, as I meander through the, the bush, uh, actually comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And, and this I'll read for you is Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 8. He writes, Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion that make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, exclamation point. Uh, those are important too. So perhaps most inspiring to me of all character traits evident in the person of Jesus Christ is his complete willingness to abandon his power, uh, to humbly engage even the lowliest of, of creatures and to serve uh, any to get down on his hands and knees to, to serve anyone and everyone uh, that comes across his path. Uh, God's uncon unconditional love sets him apart, sets our, our Lord apart uh, and above uh, anyone and everyone else. And it's this humility, this willingness to serve others sacrificially that to me demonstrates that unconditional love more powerfully than any other trait that our Savior has. And I think this passage summarizes uh, that for us uh, most beautifully, um, also the, the core and central elements of the Christian faith, uh, the need to be united, uh, to be of the same spirit, of the same mind, uh, the need to serve one another in humility and, and sacrifice. And it, it um, founds all of that, all of those concepts and, and the, the beautiful illustration of what the church is intended to be in the character and the nature of Jesus Christ, his humility his uh, self-sacrifice, his, his generosity, um, and his uh, servitude, his, his love uh, for us in the ways that he came and uh, made so many sacrifices 
to grant us the opportunity for eternity and to see that love uh, firsthand. So Philippians 2, I guess I'll simply say Philippians 2, uh, this passage, uh, above any other passage in Scripture, makes me proud to be a follower of Jesus Christ and makes me passionate about wanting to do it better and better each day. Uh, so um, that rounds out our uh, not just our, our episode today, uh, but our series on tough questions uh, for Christians uh, that maybe one day we'll return to if you send us some, uh, some of your tough questions that we can tackle. Uh, but for now, we've had an absolute blast breaking these down for you. Um, we continue to try to keep you connected to the church and the goings-on. Uh, so just a reminder, we've uh, been in this mode for several weeks now, but we're back to the 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.25 time slots, uh, parking lot, in-person, and uh, live stream in, in that order. Uh, we're, we're getting more and more opportunities to uh, connect with you folks. Uh, we miss you dearly, those who we haven't seen for, for many months uh, we hope and pray you're doing well. Uh, we are still the church that will never change, whether we connect through podcasts or uh, through car windows as you come to the parking lot service or whether we're, we're somehow through the Spirit of God connecting uh, through a, a live stream service. Um, we know that you're out there. We love you. We miss you. And thank you for listening, uh, helping us all stay engaged and, and uh, trudging closer and closer to the character and the person of Jesus Christ in our own lives. Uh, thank you for being with us on the journey. Uh, take care. Have a great week, friends.